welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. All right, good morning. Welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. I'm here this morning with my friend and colleague, Dr. Billy Kingery. He's a professor in the Department of Plant Soil Sciences here at Mississippi State University. Um, Welcome. Thank you. Yes, thanks for being here. Uh, I asked him to come on the show, and he's been on a couple of times, but... um, when he walked in this morning, he said that I had really good questions. <laughs> and the irony there is that I'm pretty sure he's the one who taught me how to ask a good question. Like, that is the, I'm not, I mean, you've taught me other things because I've taken courses from you, but really to ask a good question and how important that is because, you know, if, if you go through the traditional U.S. elementary system, it's to answer the question right. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really teach us to crit think critically to ask a good question in the first place. So the fact that he thought my questions were good, which is something he taught me, <laughs> was a big compliment. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I just, it, it's interesting, uh, coincidental, but I, I just heard, I was listening to a podcast um, uh, earlier this morning, and it was on physics. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people may know um, of a uh, an astrophysicist named Stephen Hawking, who had uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, was confined to a wheelchair and died died recently. And uh, a very well known physicist said that the most important legacy that Hawking left were the questions mm-hmm. that he left, rather than the answers, because it stim- has stimulated so much more thinking and and work. Yeah. Uh, to try to answer those. Yeah, so. and I I would completely agree with that. I mean, there's some questions I've heard you ask that I'm like, well, I never even thought to question that in the first place you know we just get stuck in the lanes society puts us in and there we go (laughs) so (laughs) yes so today we're talking the critical role of soil and soil management towards sustainable development goals and um something i'm sure we could talk about for a couple of weeks if not tens of hours um but very important in terms of not only agriculture but also um, conservation, and so we're going to kind of get hopefully down in the weeds a little bit with this one. Um, but first, uh, give our listeners just a brief history of how, how you came to work in soil research and with farmers, because you do you've done some on farm mm-hmm. research as well. Yeah, well, um, I mentioned a little bit about this last time, but mm-hmm. um, kind of starts where I grew up for the most part in East Texas, and then I finished uh, finished up high school. Uh, in Louisiana, I was late late getting back one summer, and the only job available was a tractor driver on a 5,000-acre soybean plantation. Uh, and it was, it was meeting the manager uh, who introduced me to the notion of a degree in agriculture. I had mm-hmm. no idea such a thing even existed. Um, and a long way around, I, I, I wound up in between schools, and I lived on an experiment station. And oh. it was the... Red River Experiment Station, just south of Bossier City. Land grant based. Like yes, it's part of part okay. of the Louisiana Agricultural Experiment Station, and uh, this is this is at a time when the researchers, the agronomists, and so forth, lived on the station, and they had some housing for labor. And I was a tractor driver, and and uh, uh, 
worked at maintaining the research plots, but it was really there, and it was a, it was an agronomist, one of my best teachers, a man by the name of Dave Melville, and he was working on cover crops starting in the early 60s and had come to find out that cover crops could provide enough nitrogen to make a very good cotton yield. Hmm. Um, so that's where, for me, soils started really uh, to come into view as an object of, of consideration, study, importance, and so forth. And um, so that, that led to um, kind, of, kind of getting into postgraduate work. And, and interestingly, I wound up doing my master's degree at LSU back at the Red River Station oh. on cotton irrigation scheduling. <laughs> yeah, so it still, came, came around full circle. <laughs> next time I have questions about irrigation, I'm going to send them well. away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, uh, that, that really was uh, the start to things right there. And, and I was really lucky because I got into um, sort of the, the, the physical aspects of soil and soil management and inputs like irrigation, mm-hmm. uh, which turned out to be a really good foundation yeah. for future directions. Yeah, and that, that background's always so important, um, especially to kind of how your eyes uh, open to the role of soil, which, you know, for me coming from a biology background and then moving into water and nutrient kind of biogeochemistry, it took me a little bit longer to have that kind of epiphany, like, oh, the soil's an important Mm-hmm. It has an important role in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and for probably the majority of our listeners, especially if they're kind of not on a- academic routes for the long term, um, the soil is just dirt. <laughs> and so they may have not had this epiphany yet either. So for those of you when we're like affectionately referring to soil as like this magical thing, that's what you would think of as just dirt that people yeah. build stuff on or farm on or yeah. just put lawn turf on um but you do see some expressions of that i mean not too too long ago several years back there was a uh, smithsonian exhibit and what that exhibited were the soils of each state that were designated by state legislatures as the official soil our our state soil is the natchez soil oh, really and so each state has one and so uh each state put together a um a specimen of that soil and it was sent to Smithsonian for a display on the soils of the nation and which soils were, were, were officially designated as state soils. Did you get to see it in person? Did you go to the exhibit? Uh, I didn't get to see it, but there were a lot of videos and so forth, and it traveled it traveled around to several locations in the state. But I, I didn't get a chance to see the yeah. entire exhibit put together. That's very uh, cool. So there, there, is, there is a recognition of the, the importance. importance. And, and, and you, can, you can see that in in, in people in a lot of ways where uh, certain soils mean something to them in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, even soil colors, like for me, um, working at the Red River Station meant that those red-colored river soils, alluvial soils, were the ones I've always thought were the most beautiful, and I think soils can be beautiful. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, you can see soil colors represented in a lot of art and there are a lot of art teachers today in schools that use soils as paints. That's cool. Yeah. So, so there is an aesthetic association 
uh, with soils and and those people that say I remember those soils that I grew up the land that I grew up I have a I have a lot of appreciation mm-hmm. for those kinds of feelings yeah along those lines too I bet you know even our listeners who aren't like really into soils definitely when you say when you say soil they probably have a picture in their they mind do. Um, and, and as you kind of talk about what you think of soil um, I still think of the red clays here as somewhat exotic because mm-hmm. I grew up in Minnesota and I still picture like a, a black yeah. black loamy yeah. Uh, yeah. soil yeah. as kind of what I think of as yeah. soil um, side tangent there but hopefully easier for our listeners to kind of connect all the things we're talking about today uh, we were gonna get back into soil management something we talked about in an earlier episode um, but ne- you, in the last one we were kind of focusing on the history what was and now we're shifting to what is um, in terms of what are common goals of soil management um, on many traditional farms in the US mm-hmm. um, because those have changed over time and so now here we are um, and, and we've got new goals mm-hmm. I, I would say shifting goals so what, what would you say are some of those common goals across farms and and that's a that's I understand a heavy question because farms are so different yes <laughs> so let's we'll throw that caveat yeah. in there I'm, I'm, I'm not at all sure that I'm I'm qualified to answer this one mm-hmm. but uh, I'll give it a shot and I'm thinking in terms of soil management but I would say two two broad headings that I might use is uh, improving efficiency yep uh, because so much of the crop input goes through the soil uh, the soil acquires nutrients through the soil. It acquires water through the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want our soils to be uh, efficient in terms of those inputs that we have to purchase and use for crop production. And the other one, I would say, is is reducing or eliminating risks. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things that irrigation does. It, 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 uh, it, it's an effort to reduce the risk of inadequate or inadequately timed or improperly timed uh, input or uh, rainfall. I I love both of those answers because um, they both just kind of connect with uh, anyone's, anyone, no matter what job you're in or what business you're in, basic survival tactics. You know, we have to be efficient and we have to avoid risk. So I think those are... uh, if you were going to try to capture anything to answer that question, that would be accurate across a number of different farms that are very different. And those are, those are our goals as consumers mm-hmm. of farm products, which which we have to have. I mean, one of the ways that I think about it, it's it's um, it's a metaphor. It's just a way of expressing. It's not literally true, but but every person on earth has to have access to land. And what I mean by that is access to the products mm-hmm. of land. So we all have an abiding interest in farmers' well-being in their profession. We have to have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, especially now with shifts, and we'll talk about it in some of these sustainable development goals, shifts to not only providing food, fiber, and fuel products, but also societal benefits in terms of clean water, clean air, um, healthy soils to do all that. So uh, we'll get into that because as, as I was trying to shift, you know, there are amongst those initial soil management goals of, uh, of now shifting to improved efficiencies, reducing risk at the farm to continue to produce a product, 
There are some other emerging goals that are pertinent to producers, but also these global sustainable development goals or even climate change goals. And so those are kind of what I alluded to already. Mm -hmm. But it goes beyond the farm system then. Yeah. And, you know, if if you don't mind, let me speak to that. by coming back a little bit of these you you mentioned or we we've talked about food feed and fiber Mm -hmm. one of the things that it seems to me um it's just from my perspective and probably just just uh uh, just my shortcoming is um sort of brushing past this fiber part we get we get the the food we get feed that we need for animals but we tend to brush past fiber Mm -hmm. and if we think of fiber just just in terms of apparel just of clothing. Life for us on earth would not be possible without clothing. Clothing. Think of what, just start with uh, the, the clothing that we have to have for infants. Mm-hmm. How, how difficult would life be without those sorts of things? Um, even to the point of fiber that's produced that goes into uh, fire retardant mm-hmm. clothing and so forth. And some, for me, that's that's one of those interesting connections that you tend to brush past thinking because it's so a uh, part of day-to-day living that you become uh, that it becomes invisible to you yeah I'm really glad you brought that up because we kind of roll it off the tongue and you keep saying food feed and fiber I keep saying food fuel and fiber too but I should add food that's fuel I'm sorry I and should I should add, add feed but that's the important part and and I know I'm sure you talk a lot about this to your class. I talk a lot about it to my class, but traditional, or probably the majority of the population when we talk about farming thinks food. Mm-hmm. But there is so much else that's produced there. And you're right, it's the clothing, it's gasoline, biofuels. Essentials. Feed, so much of it goes to feed for animals. Um, so it's so much more than food yes. that's produced, too. And, and just to clarify that, too, because when when fear creeps into this conversation, people say, but we need to feed the world. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a lot more, a lot more. than that mm-hmm. um, in agriculture. Yes. Um, so I am so glad. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, were you going somewhere else with that <laughs> before I cut you off? No. OK. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure before I switch, switched gears. Um Okay, so you're talking about that and, and us moving to the sustainable development goals yeah. or doing more on these farms than producing this array of products that are already so important um, just to survival. Mm-hmm. Clothing, energy, sustenance. Um, because for it to be sustainable production, there has to be other considerations mm-hmm. in the in the production of these things. Um, so let's talk about what some of those sustainable development goals might be. All right. But first, maybe we should yeah. at, at least say what we think that we mean by sustainability. Yeah. That's a hard one. It is. Um, S- so the way that I like to think about it, um, I hope that I'm close to correct mm-hmm. in the way that I use it, s- adds another dimension to the things that you just spoke about Mm -hmm. with it and I do as I do with everything I borrow from someone else (laughs) and where I borrow it is a scientist named Murray Gell-Mann and he won a Nobel Prize in physics and he's been very interested in his later years with uh, questions of sustainability 
and so forth. And the way the way that he phrases it is that uh, sustainability is 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 uh, avoiding or minimizing loss of quality. Mm. And so that's part of what we've we've done certainly in our use of resources, use of energy, farming, and so forth, is enhance the quality of our lives. It's not just mere struggle for existence. It's beyond that as human beings, and that appears to be sort of uh, part of how we're put together, uh, is to build lives in that, in that direction. Um, uh, Dan Peterson, one of my favorite people, he's the director of the Genomics Institute here. He, has, he thinks a lot about biology and so forth, and he talks about us as human beings, and he says, sometimes a lot of what we do is sort of shutting nature out so that we can live better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We live in more comfortable uh, conditions that protect us from the elements and so forth like that. So I think, I think quality is an important component to add to sustainability in our goals. Yeah, and I, w- I would definitely agree with that um, and even put it into um, a little more context for our listeners, too. Uh, when most, most definitions of sustainability include, include trade-offs, which we talked about, in, in our in our first episode, um, and how those trade-offs relate to the environment, economics, and society. So taking that quality and kind of applying it to that we know we have to have economic stability, that we know there has to be societal stability within that for the human population, and then that the environment's part of that. Mm-hmm. So it takes all these things that we geek out about and that interconnectedness, <laughs> right? <laughs> and... Um, and puts it into a simple definition for a really complex goal, mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah. Like, we can we can talk a lot about sustainability, but when you get down to the science and the minutia of how things interact between those uh, economic, societal, environmental components, boy, yeah. boy, it's a lot. It is. It, and, and, and it's hard to, to find a term or a concept that's going to capture enough of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I guess probably going back to your question, maybe the one that I think that I would I would try to apply as far as something um, that effectively um, pulls a lot of it together would be adaptation. Yeah. Um, and so, adaptation to what? So these would be things like markets, changing markets, um, changes in respo- uh, resource uh, cost and availability. One of the things is is uh, I know you've done a lot of work with his groundwater, mm-hmm. uh, for example. Uh, extremes in weather or instability yeah. of weather. In other words, uh, uh, the onset of warmer temperatures early or um, higher nighttime temperatures that would affect our crops and so forth, the ad- adaptation to that. And, um, and, and, of course, the main topic we're here to talk about is adaptation to soil degradation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I mean by that is how to incorporate that into sustainable farming systems that can reverse or at least uh, prevent further soil degradation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you laid it out that way. And I want to bring our listeners back to, um, you know, the reason we even have the podcast and talk about these things or ask questions about sustainability is not because we have the answers it's to get you thinking about it because even you know I've been in talks with farm groups and when I say sustainability they think I'm only talking about the environment alternatively when I've talked about sustainability to groups say environmentalists they think I'm 
not, you know, the, it seems to be some polarized issue where they view that term mm-hmm. as meaning just protecting the environment or just protecting the farm system, however they perceive mm-hmm. it. But to lay it out here for our listeners that it's a number of different components yes. and the interaction between them mm-hmm. f- for survival and adaptation and, and how we can use information to do that, especially mm-hmm. when it comes um, to our so- soil systems, which we've talked about mm-hmm. is the foundation mm-hmm. for much of the economy, m- much of these things that we require mm-hmm. um, to survive. Um, so even though it's not the most glamorous of icons out there in the United <laughs> States it's or in the world, it's one of the most important. Yeah, I think one, um, uh, I like to, where I can, I'm not well versed in this, but where I can, I like to, to look at, at, at some things in history that can teach us. And um, there's a real interesting letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to James Madison. It was a little over a year since the ratification of the Constitution. So the founders thought that the the Constitution was an experiment. So they had they had ways to change it, alter it, add to it, and so forth like that. So Jefferson was still thinking about these things. So he wrote this letter, and it has a, a, a very uh, interesting and I think beautiful phrase in it because he's thinking about self-evident truths because this thing, this thing is tied to the Declaration of Independence, obviously. And so he's thinking, he's starting to think about future generations and what their inalienable rights were. And so he has this phrase in there that he says, the earth belongs in usufruct to the living. So it's got this strange term. I don't even Usu- know what that word usufruct means. Usufruct yeah. is a legal term. <laughs> it's only but it, it's it, uh, uh, a very uh, a strong tie, Latin foundation. And what it means is that it's, it's entrusted, it's, its use is entrusted to you. And basically, I think the, the long and short of it is you have to leave it like you found it. Yeah. You can't leave it in worse conditions. Now, we can get into that a little bit later about how uh, difficult that was. And, and, of course, he used this notion to talk about other kinds of, of uh, uh, obligations and rights of, of future generations. Mm-hmm. But he used uh, thoughts about the land and, and care of the land as a way to think about things that he considered to be self-evident truths. Yeah, that's I'm, I, I love when you bring up nuggets like that because we could go on forever about yeah. that, you know. And most people, when they take um, general philosophy and their gen eds in college, are not usually in the best state of mind to be actually critically thinking about things. Mm-hmm. People are kind of living the college <laughs> life. I know that I was not there to critically think about some of those things at the time. Um, Yet, from a biological perspective, if we're here to adapt, reproduce, survive, some of our decisions about earth management, use of resources, go against that general kind of natural biological pull to adapt, reproduce, survive for those next generations. Um, And interesting how you, I've not heard that pulled out of, you know, I've heard of the letter uh, that you reference, Okay. But not that particular phrase pulled out of mm-hmm. it. Um, way, <laughs> way <laughs> underrated. <laughs> so now that we, as a as a global society, are pretty well aware um, of the need to conserve natural resources for the long term sustainability of societies, population, this production of food, all the things we need. Um, 
it can some sometimes shift our approach to managing farm systems and our approach to sustainability or how we can create farm systems to be more resilient to some of these threats, mm-hmm. reducing that risk. Mm-hmm. Um, although I should say that, you know, in many terms, the scientific community is well aware of that. Other countries are well aware of that mm-hmm. with the, the large scale signing of the Paris Climate Agreement. But there's still a lot of views that aren't, that it's hard to capture that shift in view in a general sense. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think as, what do you think is a need in terms of he- helping that shift along, helping under people stand, people understand these complex issues that, that, that link these things we initially started talking about, ec- economics, environment, society, in terms of sustainability in the farm system to move towards these goals. Again, I'm not the expert to no. ask about no, these sorts yeah, of things. So, so my thoughts um, are to draw on the the, the things that we um, have learned uh, from ecology, mm-hmm. um, and we have we actually, in my opinion, we have two places to draw on. Um, if we look at the root word of ecology, it's oikos which is an ancient Greek word, and it means household. So oikos is the root word for ecology, but it's also the root word for economics. And so to me, those two capture the notion of household Mm -hmm. for us. And so that's where things get, uh, um, or or notions or concepts get integrated, in my opinion. And that's that's the key to it. And we talked uh, before about trade-offs and working toward uh, doing our best to make sure that our trade-offs, we're always trading up as much as we can and not trading down. And so I think that helps us to, to better identify these trade-offs and, and uh, what they mean. Uh, and and uh, so that, that suggests to us to look at systems more. And so I'd mentioned earlier about um, thinking more about where the farmer is in that. And so I think you you asked about research directions and so forth. And so um, where I I think the gains can be made in that sense is on-farm type research coupled with systems level thinking Mm -hmm. on that, which ecological concepts helps bring that together. And there's some really, really good thinking about this sort of thing uh, and you and I know him well. He's a Ph.D. student now at Mississippi State University's Dan Prevost. Future and he, podcast yes, and, guest. And, and Dan has, has really <laughs> developed uh, some, some very good thinking along these, these kinds of lines. And so mm-hmm. uh, I think those are the places to look where we can make some gains in the kinds of things that you're, you're uh, mentioning here. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. And, and uh, he's had a really unique experience when we, when we get him on, we'll dive into it deeper, but he's had some interesting training in ecology and then working on farm systems and moving through what otherwise and what we often find at universities are separate silos. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of a barrier to that systems thinking when we all have to work in smaller areas mm-hmm. and it's harder to put those pieces together because yes. sometimes people are afraid to branch out of their initial training, even mm-hmm. though 
then I would say maybe the one place that that is less common is in departments of the environment and of ecology Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we we tend to learn about a little bit of everything and how it's connected Mm -hmm. and how it flows through systems and between organisms and and all these things that would occur Mm -hmm. on a farm system yeah and 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 that's not to say i mean we've been well served by reductionism Mm -hmm. we've needed it we've need to eliminate some of the complexities so that we can get to specific answers so it has its place um but as we move forward um, the notion is these complex systems and these complex interactions, we've, we, we recognize them more, so we need to, to find ways to better integrate those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. So that leads to a little bit different thinking in farm management, too, though, um, which will be interesting to see um, as that evolves, uh, even on the crop advisory side, mm-hmm. we'll say, um, you know, mo- shifting from just a focus of fertility into kind of a whole farm system or some along those lines. Um, what do you think will shift in the way we advise producers now? Because far- uh, and I should say, I agree completely that um, along the lines of farms, farm systems, farm management, um, but producers don't always do this alone because mm-hmm. it's so complex. They have right. advisors um, to help them produce a crop annually or multiple different crops. Um, But we're seeing that kind of shift from even farm silos into sometimes holistic management, Mm -hmm. which happens more on a smaller scale usually right now than a a larger production scale. But you've particularly, and I'm just going to sidetrack, worked with one farm in the past, High Hope Farms, Yes, yes. Right? That, that have it widely adopted this? <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and actually, um, my interest in working on farms started with my dissertation when it was mainly on-farm on farm research. And, and uh, I guess I just sort of latched on to that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Me too. And, and, and uh, that's the place where, where we get to interact with a farmer and what we're doing and seeing that impact. And uh, High Hope Farm... Uh, in Cedar Bluff, um, from by Johnny and Deb Ray, mm-hmm. and they have integrated these these practices. In fact, uh, Johnny tells an interesting story to students when we take them on field trips and everything. He said he used to he initially he raises he raises uh, cattle there. Um, he said he started off thinking as himself as a uh, thinking of himself as a cattle farmer, and then he said, well, they rely on they rely on the forage, so I consider myself a grass farmer. And then the more that he got into it, he said, no, I'm building soil <laughs> is, what, is really <laughs> what we're doing there. If I take care of that, uh, many of the other pieces start to fall into place. Which is a really fantastic way to look at it. kind of mm-hmm. simplifies the complex system of it. And he's, he's figured out how to do that because um, mm-hmm. it's – like a lot of things, when you when you have to simplify, you're you know sometimes we try to simplify these systems where they can look like two plus two, so we can and that's a lot of the way that I've been talking is try to grab these terms that I think catch a lot of complexity and so mm-hmm. forth. I don't think that I'm really successful at it, but you keep working at it. But to say those things and name them after we've seen the success. It's really one of those things that's much easier said than done. Mm-hmm. It means he's, he's and, and this is something, again, going back to the farmer, is to recognize that talent 
from making observation, working with things closely enough to where you can see what's happening as a result of what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for for a lot of folks that aren't to the point where Mr. Ray is at now, where he sees the connection, he can see and understand his management decisions, and then the positive outcomes he has on the back end. So what that's implying is is what you see there is also the result of a lot of things that try were tried and didn't work. Yes, yes, <laughs> the trial and error peri- period. Um, and for those of us that work with farmers, that's the kind of the kind of place we want to take other people. Um, because when it comes to changing management of a very large system, there is a lot of risk there. Yeah. There is a ton of risk, especially when it's also your business, which often non-farmers don't understand that when it's your livelihood, as many of us, if someone was like, why don't you just uh, change what you're doing at your job, maybe quit, (laughs) maybe quit doing your job, I would, with fear, say, no, I can't do that. Like, that, you know, I I just can't stop doing my job. That's my job. Um, Uh, To my fellow consumers, I would say, do a thought experiment. mm -hmm. Put yourself in the farmer's shoes. Yeah. Think about, think about that job. Yeah. If you think it's easy, just try it on as a thought experiment. <laughs> and I w- yeah, I'd say it's one of the most difficult jobs there yeah. could yeah. ever be. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so working with farmers that take the time to do that trial and error mm-hmm. and move into this whole other arena of management and, and success of it is is phenomenal to see. It like is. it's the kind of thing you want to see and you want everyone to see. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of times it's what people think is somewhat impossible. Mm-hmm. And yet there's folks that go through the trial and error over time. And or a misconception of how easy it is to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just do A, B, and C. Yeah. And then wait 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's – but I'm, I'm glad we got it up. And I actually haven't been out there yet, but I'm planning to go soon. And, in fact, if all if – works well hopefully we'll have some farmers on the podcast yeah, too good. so it'd be good. incredible mm-hmm. to, to put knowledge like yeah. that in a form that so many people can, yeah. can those hear. are the stories you want to hear oh yeah, yeah absolutely well thank you again for coming on today and uh i'm sure we'll talk to you again thank you as always you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show and we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor the mississippi natural resources conservation service for their support of this podcast thanks for joining us for coffee and conservation to find out more about the topics discussed visit the reach website at reach.msstate.edu or the mississippi state university extension service website at extension.msstate.edu dot edu.